Hey everybody, Zach here. Before we get started with the podcast, I just want to let you know about our sponsor, Anchor. We're new to podcasting here at Salty Saints, and Anchor has made it so easy for us to get started. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, so let me explain a little bit about it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything that you need to make a podcast in one place. The best part about Anchor, though, is that it's absolutely free. So if you, like us, want to get your word out there, you want to try your hand at podcasting, make sure that you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast, where we hope to equip you to be salt and light to the community around you. I'm Zach, and I'm sitting here with Randy Spate yet again. What's up? Hello, Zach. Um, I am scared to death. Okay. Why? Well, because uh, we've decided to talk about something, and we kind of know where we're going, but we don't have a roadmap to get there. And uh, Isn't that like half of these, though? Like- <laughs> uh, yeah, probably so. But this one, we might have a few more rabbit trails that we chase down. That's all right. I, I, like, I like the rabbit trails. That's where we, uh, we really, like shine or just fall apart they're and so they're kind of fun <laughs> but they're also scary <laughs> yeah um so today we're talking about the age-old question am i a christian and that's i mean that's a meaningful question and it's amazing that i think so many people have this question and yet self-identify as Christians. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Now, am I really a Christian? <laughs> right. Or, or I guess also you could say, you know, what does it? What does a Christian look like? Is, right. Is what does it mean right. to what be a Christian? Uh, okay. So where, where, are we, uh, where do we want to start this? Yeah, well, I thought it might be a good place to start talking about mistaken ideas, about uh, what we can all pretty much agree that is not being a Christian. Okay. Um, I know you, you kind of wrote down a few points there. One of the things that I've heard, and I, and I think it's a commonly health belief, I've, I've uh, been overseas where I've talked to other people and shared my faith with other people, and a lot of them say, well, you're a Christian because your parents were Christians, and you were raised a Christian, so you're a Christian. And actually, uh, that's a valid argument. Can you be a Christian? Can you be born a Christian? Well, I, I honestly, like you said, overseas, but I think that's a big problem here in the States. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there that, oh, yeah, I was raised a Christian, so I'm a Christian. So I'm okay. Okay, yeah. so so what's that mean? Well, I don't know. I just was raised a Christian. Right, right, <laughs> right. So in that in that mindset, being a Christian is kind of a cultural thing. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a North American. I'm I'm a pacifist, and I'm a Christian. <laughs> well, in all fairness, though, we kind of see that uh, with the Jews. That uh, I actually one of like the things I've heard Joe Rogan say before that is a very good point is. 
that being a Jew is it's a culture and it's a religion. It, it's it's both. And so do we look at Christianity through that same lens? That I think the tendency is that we do, and yet I don't believe that that's the biblical concept of what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I uh, do, do we want to get right into it? No, I mean, no, no, okay. no, no, no. Okay. Let's, let's stick with the tease mistaken ideas. Yeah, let's tease it out a little bit. So I think another mistaken idea is being a Christian is all about what you don't do and to a certain extent what you do. It's legalistic. There are a group of, of laws, of rules, and if you follow the rules, then you're a good Christian. Which, once again— Sounds a lot more like Judaism than Christianity to me. <laughs> and I've I've been involved in churches where that's very much what it is. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I've been involved in in some um, expressions of Christianity where uh, it's inappropriate for a woman to cut her hair, but it's inappropriate for a woman to wear their hair long, and so all of the women have no choice but to wrap their hair up in a bun and uh, wear it on top of their head. And everybody kind of looks like the same thing. And and what's going into that is there are reasons, and you might even say some biblical reasons, for them not to do these things, and yet everybody ends up looking kind of dressing alike and and wearing their hair alike and it and it's uh very legalistic and I really don't think it has very much with what it really does mean to be a Christian. Yeah, um throughout the whole of the New Testament it seems like Jesus is trying to break down these traditional barriers that have been put up, these man-made concepts that have been kind of passed off as God's way, you know. He, he sure does attack them, and uh, especially he attacks uh, the religious leaders of the day who were trying to create boxes, trying to draw boxes and tell people, if you don't fit in the box, then you're not a real Jew. You need to fit in the box. Well, you know, this is something I've thought about a lot. Um like when we think about it, we're not up against flesh and blood. We're up against powers and principalities. Those are the true enemy. It's not people. It's ideas. It's – I mean we, we kind of take that and we turn – I think a lot of people go, oh, demonic powers. It's like, yeah, but how did demonic powers present themselves in our physical world? Through lies, through deception, through false – hierarchies. And and so my thing is, it, I mean, is that why Jesus is so harsh on the laws of the day? Because he sees the demonic influence behind that thing. I think you're onto something there, which brings up a really, for me, it's a fascinating point. Um, one of those powers, I think, can be the church itself. Oh, yeah. I think people can follow the church so much that they stop following Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and it's funny because it seems like every group has a different idea of what the church is. The Catholics <laughs> have their idea. The Pentecostals have their idea. The non-denominational Christians, I'm sure, have their their own version. I mean, it would differ a lot more since there's less defined rules there. But, yeah, I mean, I think we do that 
here even. I'm sure there are people in our congregation that all see this church as a different thing. I uh, I remember uh, when I was in Columbia teaching, I was in a seminary, and one of the assignments that I would always work into a class uh, would be to have the students. Uh, we talked about liturgy and Oh no no no! We're not we're not liturgical. The Catholic Church is liturgical. We're the Evangelical Church. We don't have a liturgy. So I would ask them over a period of a month to sit down in their worship service and write down the minutes. At minute five, we sang a song. At minute eight, we gave announcement. At minute twelve, we collected the offering, and just do that over a month. It did not vary by more than two or three minutes either way. They had a liturgy, a very non-liturgical liturgy. Right. But it was all about we had to do things in the right way at the right time uh, with the right attitude. And <laughs> Yeah, and, and what happens when things change? People get mad. People get upset. Well, this isn't, this isn't how church goes. It doesn't feel like church anymore. Right, but it's because we've built this little box of what church is, you know. <laughs> Which brings up another mistaken idea, which is that being a Christian is all about attending church. Right. Zach, do you think you can be a Christian and not attend church? And let's let's explore this one a little bit. Yeah, I do. In It depends on what sense you're referring to the church. Oh, great answer. Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. So what is a church? Okay, so the, like actually, what yeah, is the yeah. church? What is a church, the church, biblically? The church is the body of believers. The church is the ecclesia, the, the gathering of believers. And we are called to be part of the body. We are called to companionship with other believers. Right. Does that mean that at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, we are in one building with them, sitting, facing in one direction, singing songs and listening to a sermon? No. No, no it doesn't, does it? And, you know, I think there's also this misconception that there's something powerful about the house of God, that the, 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 the church is the house of God. I argued with my dad for an hour till I was blue in the face because it's not his fault. He's been raised on this idea that, that, that there is something special about a church building. This is a bunch of bricks and wood and some metal. Like, if this place burns down tomorrow, nothing happens. And he would agree on that point. But at the same point, at the same time, we kind of attribute this, like, power Almost to a church power. building. Yeah, it's like a yeah. mystical power. And there's nothing biblical about that. The church of God, the house of God is the believers. I I agree with you. I understand what you're saying. And yet I, I get what your dad's saying, too. When um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a different word that you may have never heard before, but uh, there is something called liminal space. You're coming at me with like knowledge bombs, aren't you? Right. right. Oh, so, right. <laughs> liminal space is a space where uh, something significant happens to more than one person. So, a liminal space might be a foxhole in World War II where uh, two guys crawled into a foxhole and the bomb screamed right overhead and they came out alive, whereas if they had not been in the foxhole, uh, they'd be dead. Okay. 
that foxhole becomes a liminal space for them, they will go back to that liminal space. They'll remember that. They'll remember their buddy. They'll remember the the horror in their buddy's eyes. They'll remember the smell, the the acrid smell of the of the of the gunpowder as it goes off. Uh, they'll remember all of those things because this was significant for many people. A church building like the one that we're in is a liminal space. It's some place where something significant happened that changed my life, and I know it happened to Fred over there, and I know it happened to to Maisel over there. And uh, at any point, I can sit down and talk to them, and and they'll remember the church and. They'll say, do you remember the cross? And, oh, yeah, I remember the cross. And uh, do you remember the carpet? Oh, yeah, I remember the carpet. I I went to a Christian college, Asbury College. One of the speakers, when he stood up to speak, he pulled this little piece of wood out of his pocket. And he he walked down off the stage. And uh, he went to one end of the altar, and he took that piece of wood and he stuck it in a hole at the end of the altar, and it fit perfectly. He pulled it out, and he walked back up. And he said, 25, 30 years ago, I don't know how long it was, said, uh, right there at that spot on the altar, I was saved. And when I was done, I took out my pocket knife, and I cut a piece of the altar off. <laughs> I've carried that with me every day since then. That was a liminal space for him. Now, I understand what your dad's saying. Many times a church building, and not all church buildings, but a particular building, is a liminal space for them because God moved deeply in their heart and that space became special to them. And yet your father realizes, like I realize, that it's not about the space. It's about what happened. But the space helps me remember what happened. Right. I can accept that. That is a fair statement. Well, on behalf of your father, then, I I accept your apology. (laughs) Um, One other, uh, since since we're on the topic of uh, mistaken ideas, there's a pretty common one that uh, I, I think a lot of people believe they're Christians because at one point in their life, they prayed the sinner's prayer. Lord, forgive me a sinner, and I accept you as my own personal Savior. Uh, it, it is so common in such a part of even contemporary vocabulary that there is an indie rock group, Depeche Mode, that wrote a song called Your Own Personal Jesus. Reach out and touch faith. Reach out and touch me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they had heard the vocabulary. And it it stuck out enough to them that they actually wrote a song about it, which has nothing whatsoever to do with Christianity. (laughs) No, in fact, I believe Marilyn Manson covered it a few years later. (laughs) You are probably. (laughs) So so there you go. Um, Yeah, I I think it's sad, too, because, like, the idea of of the pray of the prayer yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, it's not a bad prayer at all. Not, it's not at exactly all. what you need to be praying. It is the first step. Yeah. But it doesn't end there. It's not the last exactly. step. Exactly. That's the point. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, praying the sinner's prayer or some form of the sinner's prayer or 
without using that vocabulary, standing before God and saying, I've come to the end of myself. I need you. Um, that's the start. But it's not the end. And that's the point. Right. To think that because I prayed the sinner's prayer, now I'm in. I've said the magic words. I have repeated the mantra. Uh, now I'm okay. No, 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 no. That's That may be the start, but it's... It, it, it's nowhere near the end. In in fact, the next step is perhaps uh, every bit as important, if not more important. Well, it's kind of like marriage vows. You don't get to stop being married after you take the vow. You don't get to just go run around on your significant other. and, and Because you said the magic yeah, words. Yeah, well, we're married now, and it, that's just how it is. Now, now I'm going to go do whatever, do whatever I want. I want. <laughs> no, that's not how this works. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you just in the same way. Um, yeah, I, I was actually just reading about this um, marriage and a family. They're both perfect examples of what a relationship with God is to look like because those concepts came from God. That's <laughs> like, right. It's not and something we have that just so happens to resemble this. When he describes his relationship with Israel, what does he call himself? He calls himself a father. You a are father. my children. Right. And then later, what does the church become to Jesus? Yeah. You are the bride. I am the groom. Right. And <laughs> it's, I mean, we need to pick up on things like that, don't right, we? <laughs> right. But, well, I mean, that's the beauty of the Trinity, too, is is that... Before time began, God existed in a family relationship with Himself. That that what this is the I really Father, like, Son, and Holy Spirit. Fa- with Father, a Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and I don't know if I've ever brought this up on here, but I, I heard this point not too long ago, and I really loved it. That the idea of being in a relationship that that like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That one is fully pouring themselves out into the next, but being equally filled up by the previous one. That, like, by them oh, each gorgeous. giving all of themselves to each other, they are that. always completely emptying themselves and being completely fulfilled by themselves. That that it's, is incredible. I love that image. It's uh, the, from time to time I I do talk to married couples and. Anytime a married couple would say, well, this is 50-50, I will always correct them and say, it is not 50-50. It's 100-100. You've got to give 100% of yourself. She's got to give 100% of herself. Um, that's the only way a marriage really works. Right. And that's what you were just describing with the Trinity. Right. If you fully submit to one another, you'll never want for anything. If two people are giving all they have to each other— then then you're not really losing anything when you give it. You know what I mean? It's it's really interesting. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. So are there other mistaken ideas out there, Zach, uh, that you can think of of what it means to be a Christian? I There probably are. Yeah, I mean like it kind of goes into the the church thing like traditions. We think yeah. traditions matter so much more than they do even if there's no biblical basis upon them. Um symbols like the cross, I think we attribute too much power to to the symbol of the cross. I mean, you don't get all bent out of shape when you don't see an ichthus in a church. You know what I mean? Like, right, but right, right. You don't see a cross, and now that's and a yet problem. the cross didn't appear until about the third century. Exactly, and and it's like it's you know the cross is a beautiful reminder yeah. of what Jesus has done for us, but 
but it has nothing to do with us being a Christian. Uh, being a Christian is has got to do everything with Jesus. But yeah, so I mean that's so. Let's one. get into that a little bit. Let's let's start talking. Okay, if this is not what it means to be a Christian, then what does it mean to be a Christian? I think. I think the whole story starts in the Old Testament. I think to know what it really means to be a Christian, you've got to go all the way back to the Old Testament, even before there was a Christ to uh, have a group of followers called Christians. Uh, you got to look at the Old Testament. Okay. So <clears throat> I think that the bottom line of the Old Testament is God's mercy. Usually when you go to the Old Testament, you think law. Right. And for sure, you look at the Torah. So you got the book of Genesis, which is uh, interesting stories about people who, who lived and walked and tried to follow God. Then you come to the book of Exodus, which is about Israel. First 20 chapters, Israel becomes free. And then you start the laws and very tedious laws. Laws right down to things like don't boil a baby goat in the milk of its mother, which, by the way, is why an Orthodox Jew would not eat a cheeseburger because it's a mixture <laughs> of milk and meat. Ow. Yeah. Um, that is why that, that's the verse. That motivates them to not eat cheeseburgers. I would. I have never thought of that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that, that's that's what it is. Then you get the book of Leviticus, which is pure law. You told me earlier today that you are right now reading through Leviticus, and it is tedious. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I've taken a really long time to get through Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> I get it because to somebody these were very important, but not to me. <laughs> right. It, it, it's just laws. So you get this idea that the Old Testament is all about laws. And we come away from that and frequently we'll think, well, the law is the way that they were saved. They had to obey the law so they could be saved. No, absolutely not. That is not what the Old Testament says. And that's not the purpose of the giving of the law. The purpose of the law was to show man his sin. Right. Um, I'm looking for the verse, and I'm not going to keep talking. I'm okay. trying to find this. <laughs> so the purpose of the law is to show man that he is sinful. And God's grace, God's mercy offers man salvation. Uh, you, you see that in the book of Genesis. Mo, uh, Noah was a righteous man. They write, Noah was a righteous man. Everybody else around him was was uh, sinful and wicked. Noah was a righteous man. And you would think, so God saved Noah because he was righteous, but that's not what the verse says. It says Noah found grace in God's eyes. Even Noah, as righteous as he was, did not merit salvation. But God gave him salvation from his grace, from his mercy. And that's the story throughout the Old Testament. Um, we've we've kind of come to realize now that the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is not the difference between salvation by law and salvation by grace. 
the Old Testament is also about salvation by grace. The law is there to show men, all men, Jewish men, non-Jewish men, that they are sinners. And without God's grace, there's no hope. But God is merciful. God gives grace. So he chose Abraham. Faith comes in. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as if it were righteousness. Right. So you get God's grace, and you get uh, uh, man's faith. And that's repeated in the New Testament. In fact, Paul makes a huge argument out of that in Romans chapter 4. Abraham's faith is an example to all of us, and we are to have the same kind of faith. Salvation does not come through obedience to the law. Salvation comes through God's grace given to man who has faith. Absolutely. I'm with you. Did you find the verse? I'm pretty sure you just did it for me, so I'm happy about that. Um, I did not find the verse. It's the concept that the law doesn't save. It's Romans. I just can't find where. Romans 10.4. The idea I've heard there, though, attached, and I don't think Paul directly says this, is that the law was never meant to save, but it was a mirror. It was a mirror for man to see himself, for man to see how broken and unworthy of salvation he really was and yeah then it goes into that that idea translates into the concept of of abraham i mean anyone that wants to look at the story of abraham and say oh well he you know clearly he was he was obedient to god and everything i mean no i mean the the guy sold his own wife out because he was afraid of a king you know he's gonna let this guy take his wife he didn't listen to what god said on multiple occasions but God counted his faith as a righteousness. He called him friend. You're, you're probably thinking of 2 Corinthians 3, the end of the chapter there, verses 16 on, that uh, their eyes are covered with a veil, but uh, uh, when they come to Christ, the veil is removed, and they see the Old Testament for what it really is, a reflection of Christ. Maybe that's it. That could Maybe be. I don't it. know. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I just I, – I like the idea of, of realizing that when, when you truly step back and look at the law, there's not one person, not one person that can say that they can abide it. They can't abide by the law. You right. cannot do it. Right, right. And that's the beauty of it. it. It's to show you you can't do it. That's absolutely right. And so then what do we need? We need somebody who can do it. So – God's grace. We've we've talked about grace. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it doesn't start with us. It starts with God. Uh, There is no individual who can stand up and say, uh, I wanted to be a Christian, and so I tried real hard, and uh, here I am today. Uh, It starts with God's grace. God saw us in a sinful state and loved us anyway, died for us to bring us back to him. We do have a response. That response is faith and faithfulness. It's God's grace and man's faith. Somewhere in the middle, salvation happens. So the grace you're referring to would be provenient grace, right? 
Grace in all of its forms now, prevenient grace, saving grace, those are terms that we have added to the biblical term grace. Right. But but a grace that would promote you to respond to God, that would provoke yes. you to respond yes. to God's call. Yes. And so here's my question to you, and not to not to muddy the waters for anybody listening here. But oh, this let's is, muddy this, them up. Okay. Well, this is just something I've wondered about, and, and I'm, this is a controversial one, I'm sure. Um but uh, in your own personal opinion, do you believe that God's grace in that capacity to, to, to provoke someone to want to respond on some level, do you think that that's been extended to everyone? I do. I do. I believe that prevenient grace is given to everybody so that everybody has a chance. And I think that's one of the reasons that we are called to share our faith, uh, because if somebody doesn't here, how can they respond? How can they say yes? So it's our obligation to let people know. And on the same sort of train of thought, I mean, you could also make the argument that all men know there's a God in their heart, that that somewhere in the heart of every man there is a God-shaped hole, that, that, that we know morality, we know What's that? There is a right and there is a wrong, and some of us reject the concept that that we need to bow to God. You know, many who don't believe in God or say that they don't believe in God would absolutely disagree. Uh, but I, I think you, I think in some way, shape, or form, everybody has a sense of something that is beyond themselves. Whether they want to call it God or the great spirit, or the unknown, whatever it is, uh, something is out there that is beyond themselves that is, in essence, drawing them to it. Yeah, I, I'm looking for a verse here. Um, let's swear this. This may be it. Let me... <laughs> Forgive me if it's not. Uh, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I can still remember going uh, to University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, finding people there that I could share my faith with and sat down with one fellow who was an engineering student and uh, talked about creation. He said, well, uh, I, I'm, I, I don't believe in creation. I, I believe in the Big Bang. I believe that things developed. Well, what did it develop from? Well, you know, it developed from matter. Well, what did the matter come from? We got back far enough that he ended up saying, okay, now you're into metaphysics, and I really can't talk about that. So <laughs> that's, you know, that's that's the point, though. Explain you, what metaphysics means. Well, it, now you're beyond just the physical realm. This is something that is beyond physics. It's metaphysics. It's, right. If only uh, we had a way of explaining this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, uh, you know, I've read Hawking's uh, A Brief History of Time, and uh, he 
he has an explanation. Even he, though, in the middle of his book, talks about a concept of God and something that exists beyond the physical realm. So you dig deep enough, you go far enough, and people are going to have to say, yeah, there's something else that's out there. Right. And so so with all that said, though, what I'm kind of getting at here is this. A lot of people who would say they're Christians, their concept of God doesn't really go beyond what we just talked about just now. Oh, yeah, I know there's a God. But I don't really know anything about Jesus. I don't really... I hear his son's name's Jesus. I don't, you know, like, I think that that's a lot of like American Christianity, uh, or 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 just a, a lot of Americans who would say they believe in God. That doesn't make you a Christian. You, you, I think there are a lot of people that believe in the traditions that they have been brought up in, and they are able to compartmentalize that. And they also believe a lot of things that are actually antithetical right. to those traditions. Right. Grace and faith. So uh, we've we've talked about grace and faith. I don't think that's the end of the story. We we talked about how the sinner's prayer is the first step of many. So let's talk about some of the other steps. And there's a lot of other steps that we could throw in there. I really don't want to be throwing out another list of rules because we've said being a Christian is not about legalism. Um, we can be a member of a particular church or a particular brand of a church, and that's fine. That's that's well and good. That does not make us a Christian. But I do think that there is something that needs to take place. I think it's generic enough that it needs to take place in everybody who claims to follow Christ. I believe that the essence of sin is self-centeredness. A couple of podcasts ago, we talked about the fall. And that's at the essence of uh, Adam and Eve's sin. Uh, If you eat this fruit, then you will become like God. Ooh, boy, I get to be like God. Yeah, give me some of that. And and fries on the side, right? Um, It's self-centeredness. It's, yes, that's good for me. Somehow, when we follow Christ, we have to lose that self-centeredness and become other-focused. Now, Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians in chapter 2. He has this gorgeous hymn that uh, he recites about Jesus. But before he gets there, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. A man that I greatly respect said that's not exactly what it says. I looked it up in Greek, and he is absolutely right. What it literally says is that each one of you should not 
look out for your own interest, but to the interest of others. We soften that in the translation, and almost every translation softens it. We do that with a lot of things. (laughs) We do. We do. We say, don't look just to your own interest. That's not what Paul said. He said, don't look to your own interest at all. Look to the interest of others. And then he sings this hymn about Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He looked to our interest, came, made himself a man. Then Paul talks about himself, and in the very next paragraph he says, I am poured out as a drink offering. And the idea of the drink offering was you took it and you poured it out on the ground. Nobody got a chance to drink any of it. And then he talks about Timothy. And when he talks about Timothy, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, he says, everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So I send him to you to see how things go. Um, Timothy looked out to the interests of the Philippians, not to his own interest. Paul actually states that here. Oh, here it is. Yeah, it's the verse right before what I read. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Interest is mentioned like four times in this chapter, and it is all about being others-focused, looking to the interest of others, not to your own interest. Now, what's interesting to me about that is it's the exact opposite of sin. Sin is self-interest. When I follow Jesus, I'm you-interested. I I lose that self-interest, or I am to lose that self-interest. And I'm to become you-focused. We struggle with that. It's not easy. And frequently, we find selfishness, self-interest, creeping into our lives. And when it does, we have to play whack-a-mole with it and knock it back down and become others-focused again. I I would argue, though, too, we can't do that ourselves. We're we're not called to do it ourselves either. Um, I'll be honest, I'm a fairly young Christian as far as someone who is genuinely trying to follow Jesus, and I was called into ministry roughly— three years ago, in the middle of me being the trashiest person I've ever been. And so it's been like a learning curve for me trying to get into ministry and basically learning how to be a Christian at the same time. And that can be really debilitating. But I feel like every time I try and like, I try and be better, I fail But when I go lean on other people that believe in Jesus and that can lift me up, that's when I make moves in the right direction. And that's the beauty about this whole principle. If you become focused on others and they become focused on you, you can do exactly that. You can go to somebody else and you know they're there for you. Whereas 
If you are self-interested and they are self-interested, you go to somebody else, they won't give you the time of day. Isn't it kind of sick, though, we're talking about the church and how we – I feel like there's a lot of people out there that need – well, I mean everybody. Everybody needs to be better. But it seems like we're so quick to judge people when we all have problems and we are all to be building each other up and growing. But anymore, it's like we want to – like the church, the modern church wants to present itself as so shiny and perfect. And it's not. It's broken and it's ugly. But we put up this front and by putting up that front, we can't let other people who are broken in. We got to push them away and say, "Oh, you're going to make us bad like you." But there again, that's self-interest. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's completely the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be absolutely right. coming to each other, vulnerable and growing. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So, Zach, how do you know you're a Christian? My answer. Yeah. Um, you gotta. You've got to just chase Jesus every day. You've got to want Jesus. And and that's what I – we were talking about this a little bit earlier. We were talking about, um, you know, C.S. Lewis kind of makes a claim where, where it seems like he almost says, you know, you can be faithful. Like you could be a Christian and maybe not know it and how we disagreed with that. But I, I definitely think to be a Christian, you have to want Jesus. You have to want to be a Christian to be a Christian. I don't think it can just happen. You know, I I have a feeling today that there are a lot of people that do want to follow Jesus, and it's genuine. They they like what they hear about Jesus, and they love Jesus as they read about him in Scripture. They're not wild about the church. I'm not always wild about the church. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that gets back to what we were talking about before. It all depends on what we define as the church. Right. If the church is a specific building, a specific set of traditions, no, no, no. But if the church is the body of believers who are following Jesus, we are called to be part of the body of believers who are following Jesus. We're called to be part of that church, the big C church. Yeah, I I think— Though the big C church needs to refocus itself on others, like we were talking about, and not about maintaining itself, and I think that's where we are in this in this day and age. is is a lot of a lot of the big C church is is about maintaining traditions or maintaining the way we've done things. And I think we're in a world that looks a lot different than the world did a couple hundred years ago even. A lot of times the Big C Church is about self-perpetuation. we uh, we got to figure out how to exist today. Right, right. And Keeping the building open. Right, right. You uh, pulled up a verse earlier, 2 Corinthians thirteen five. Yeah. Yep. If I can get it to – here we go. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? <laughs> it's a really uplifting ending there, too, it isn't John, what do you think? What do you think Paul is talking about when he says examine yourself? I mean, there's, there's not a uh, 
there's no web link attached to this, so I can take the test and see if I'm a Christian or not. I think I think it's um, to examine yourself. I mean, Jesus says, you know, why do you say you love me and and not obey my commands? You know, and and, and so I think that if we're saying we're Christians, we're saying we love Christ. We're saying we're here to follow Christ. And then so in turn, Jesus' response is, okay, so follow my commands. And I think we're to look at that and say, am I? Am I following Christ's commands? Am I being like Christ? And if I'm not, I should be. And I, I don't know. The, the end of this is really tricky to me, the end of what he says here, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. What do you think that means? Because No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so we ask ourselves, am I obeying? Sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> right. So obviously I need to do something about that. Right. I, I think what you said earlier is absolutely right. We cannot do it on our own. So when I find something, some place where I'm not obeying, I need to take that to the Lord and say, help me. I want to obey. There's something that's keeping me from doing it. Show me what it is so I can get rid of it. And and that's kind of beautiful, too, because it's not your actions that make you in Christ. It's your faith. Is your faith in Christ? Then you're a Christian. Do you want to follow Christ? Then you're a Christian. But when you find that you're not obeying Christ— to just say, eh. It's okay. That's that's not what a Christian looks that's like. Right. That's right. A right. Christian would say, I have to get right. A Christian would turn and say, Lord, I've sinned. Please forgive me. Right. Come with a repentant heart. And look, if you fall down the next day, you do you repent again. You do it again. You, it's, right. it's daily. You are laying down your life constantly and clinging to Christ for all understanding. And honestly, I truly believe that by immersing yourself in the gospel is how you continue to grow closer to Christ, to learn his word, to learn his heart, to know more about him, that that is where your faith grows from. It's not from just, oh, well, I read the Bible sometime so many years ago, and I know what it says. So reading the Bible, uh, attending a group of fellow Christians— these are not things that make us Christians. They help. They're responses to being a Christian. They're responses to being a Christian. And they help us grow right. as Christians. And if you're not responding in those ways, you may want to ask if you're Why? being a Christian. Exactly. <laughs> are you failing the test or are you passing exactly. the test? <laughs> and so it's that that's where it gets tricky. And that's where I think a lot of this legalism comes into play. Because people get the order of things mixed up. It's not that we do things so God will receive us. It's God received us, so now we do things in response to that. But if we're not doing those things, do we really care what he did for us? I mean, that's that's how I see it, at least. I, I think that's the biblical uh, explanation as well. But, uh, yeah. Is that fair? I think so. All right. You got anything else? I don't think we've uh, exhausted the subject, but I think we've come to a good uh, 
jumping off point. Sure. We could come back. We could revisit this or another aspect of this maybe. Well, the whole idea of the Christian life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of what this podcast is. So. Sure. <laughs> Everything I hope we're, doing we're not out much. of things yeah. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening so much. Um, we hope that if you enjoyed this, that you will uh, leave us a review. Heck, leave us a review if you didn't enjoy it. We hope to hear that, too. Uh, let us know uh, what you'd like us to talk about, and maybe we could incorporate some of those ideas into our future podcasts. Um, you can find this wherever podcasts are listed. So uh, if you're getting sick of listening on one of those, you can try us out on another one, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Stay salty. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.